Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan at Adam Vingan. Pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. Subscribe. Also subscribe to this show, but subscribe to The Athletic. Pay for good journalism. It is absolutely worth it. You can read all of Adam's work there and all of his great coworkers as well, covering all the great things, covering all the great things around Nashville and Tennessee sports uh, as we sit today. Uh, Adam, our last episode on Friday, the morning after Game 6 loss by the Nashville Predators, was a bit of a crime scene investigation. This will be more of an autopsy of the dead carcass that has now been wheeled back, of course, to the coroner's office. I don't know. Where does the autopsy take place? Do you know? The coroner's office sounds right. Okay. So maybe the coroner's office. This will be a broader look at how do we define... The medical examiner. Yeah, exactly. Still interacts with the cops a little bit, right? We're still disseminating information here. Uh, we haven't reached full like post-mortem status, but we're pretty close. Um, so we're going to try to define success, or at least debate whether or not this season was a success. Look a little bit more broadly at the big picture issues that the Preds are facing this offseason. And of course, talk about UC Soros and the Vezina Trophy. So we'll get to all of that coming up in just a few minutes. However, the gold standard is brought to you by... Jaspers. You're not going to sing Creed during the Jaspers ad this time. I might. We need to, first of all... Free shouts here? We need to give a shout-out to Harry Thorne, (laughs) who tweeted at me yesterday, or early this morning, rather. says five hours ago, as I read this on the Twits, saying that, I thought at 440 Sports couldn't take me higher with The Voice, Couldn't but the Scott Stapp impression is the funniest thing I've heard all year. I haven't laughed out loud like that in ages. Uh, did you skip the with arms wide open? I thank you. I was getting to the meat and potatoes. I don't know. The Both with- of which you can eat at Jasper's in various forms. <laughs> That's right. Uh, sweet potato fries. Delicious. Fantastic. Delicious the- burgers. Delicious steak. All the meats. I think the with arms wide open. I thank you. I haven't laughed out loud like that in ages is. I think that's a part of the meat and potatoes of that tweet. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, creed pun there. Although he did ask, uh, may it be a weekly fixture from here on out? And my vote is no. No, it should it should be a surprise. It should just happen out of nowhere. <laughs> Go back and listen to the end of last week's ep- or last episode, Game Six reaction. Uh, listen to the very end, <laughs> where <laughs> where we start talking about Jaspers, and it turns into Adam doing a nine hundred number in a creed voice. <laughs> And That's add- a different voice. Oh, it's very very much so. Um, all right. Go to Jasper's. Great happy hour. Preds are no longer taking place, obviously, but you can still buy the Gold Standard Cocktail, which, of course, is named after this podcast. They have all kinds of great food, great parking, which is free. Have I mentioned all the great things with Jasper's? The grab-and-go market is great. The private dining room is great. You might see Adam and his wife there. That's great. Depends on how you feel about me. I guess that's true. Are people right now happy with you, Preds fans, do you think? Or do you think they're extra spicy, or do you think they, if they've been listening to this show, they know we picked the Preds to finish fourth and lose in six games. So does that mean they're happy with us, or they're satisfied with their product? Rate, review, and subscribe. Based on the reviews, they're satisfied with the product. I mean, I was getting tweets within seconds of the series being over, imploring the Predators to fire everybody which is not going to happen, FYI. So <laughs> I don't know if that has all. anything to do with me, but certainly I think that's fans sports. are angry. I think that's sports. 
So I guess I'll, before we get into all the minutia of the offseason, let me ask you, because I started last week's pod with, how do you feel? You lose in six, but you play well. Your stars don't show up. All the stuff. Go back and listen to the show. Now that we've had a week to digest it all, and it's and it's you know the <laughs> it's it's hung in the air. We've thought about it. We've it's landed on us. We've we've ruminated. We've marinated. Do, do you feel any differently about the team's performance in that series and the end result of the season? Not really. Um, certainly, as we discussed last week. The Predators were competitive against the Hurricanes. They did have opportunities to close out both games, five and six, leading by a goal late in the third period of both games. Uh, They were unable uh, to win those games, um, so you can feel upset about that. But all things considered, as you mentioned before, the Predators ended up where we expected them to be a bubble team that loses in the first round. Um, I do think, however, and I think we touched on this last week too, that for the first time in at least three years, there can be a sense of optimism about certain aspects of the team moving forward. Um, after they lost to the Stars in the first round two years ago, and after they lost to the Coyotes in the qualifying round last year, there really wasn't much to be excited about. Um, but I believe that the emergence of several young players, um, the the coaching job that John Hines did in the second half of the regular season, I think there are things to... If you want to take a a glass-half-full approach to the season, I think you can. Um, I I doubt many of you are, but you can, which you could not say about the past two postseason exits where they clearly, there was clearly nothing to feel good about. And I do believe that a lot of, I'm, I'm leaning more towards that direction right now. I did, because I had low expectations for this team, I am pleasantly surprised with John Hines establishing himself and his scheme and his culture, all the cliches. I am pleasantly surprised with the development of Alex Carrier and Yakov Trenin and Matthew Olivier, all the names we've talked about. I am a little bit more positive five, six, seven days after the elimination about the big picture, broad strokes of where this organization is headed. And that maybe that's because I'm in the media and my job is to quickly look ahead at what's coming and to say, all right, this is good, but it only is good if you do all the right things this offseason, right? Like you, you, you found some things, but it only works if the next big decisions and the next big steps with this organization, which we're going to cover a lot today on the show, actually work and they actually do some of them, whether that's, you know, blowing up the core to some degree or ripping a few pieces out of the core or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think that to me, that's what it now depends on. I can be positive about what I saw as long as I see more progress this summer. And and a lot of what we're going to talk about today on the show is sort of what are those things the Preds could do and sort of try to set people up for what's coming this summer. Well, the organization needs to be careful about how they approach this off season. Because as I just said, before I had a coughing fit that required us to re-record part of this um, because I had water go down the wrong pipe. So if my voice sounds a bit hoarse, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
as I cough laugh just now, um, as I just said, there's reason to be optimistic, but the Predators cannot be blinded by recent events. Regardless of what happened in the second half of the season and in the playoffs, the Predators are no closer to being a Stanley Cup contender. So it's okay to feel good about certain aspects of the team, but they can't look at this season as a huge step forward or even a, I mean, it's a perhaps a slight step in the right direction. I feel like it's just a pivot or a pivot. Like you, you were facing the wrong direction and heading that way. And now and you're facing the right now direction. At least again. We, yeah. At least we've turned around and now we're facing the right direction. I'm not sure how many steps they've taken. Maybe, that's maybe, fair. maybe a baby step. I don't know. I mean, that's fair, but the, the general point is that, Oftentimes, when a team does something out of out of nowhere, like this team did in the second half of the season, you know, front offices can be fooled into thinking that everything is okay. And uh, and I do not believe the Predators front office is necessarily thinking that way. But you have to take your blinders off from mid March through last week and realize that there are still things that need to change in order to move this team in the right direction, whether they just pivoted or took a baby step and return to contender status. So I do think changes to the roster, major changes need to be made, but at least there isn't this sense of dread or doom and gloom that seems to have, uh, followed the most recent postseason exits to Dallas and Arizona. So two really good pieces by you, Adam, up on The Athletic right now, pay for good journalism. You took a deep dive into sort of the evaluation of the roster. We're going to touch on that in a second. And you took a, li- you took a look at sort of the, 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 the pivotal moments and decisions that are coming in the summer. You can kind of follow along those two articles if you're, if you're listening to the show. We'll, we'll take a little bit of a different angle. So we will get to a lot of those decisions that you're talking about that I think do create a pivotal offseason. Um, expansion draft, of course, you know, we'll have one of those. We'll have an entire conversation about the expansion draft in, in mid-July. The deadline, of course, for the Preds to submit their roster is the July 17th. The expansion draft is July 21st. The NHL draft is the 23rd and 24th. And then free agency, which is, of course, a big date to remember for both, I don't know, guys like Forsberg and Ekholm, for example, uh, July 28th. So we, we will take a look at all of that. And, and But one question before we do, and that is, do you define this as a successful season? Do you say that 2021 with – John Hines still has not had a training camp. John Hines is still not coached in a full regular season. <laughs> John, you know, like, do you view 2021 and a loss in six games to a very good team in the postseason in the first round as a successful year? I don't think there is a definitive answer to that. It's a lot of heavy breathing over there. Yes, I'm still recovering from my coughing fit. Um, I don't think there's a definitive answer because as I, I tried to explain before, there are multiple ways you can look at this season. And I try to look at it at more I try to look at this as at more of a micro level than a macro level. Interesting, because I do it kind of the other way. Right. 
So from a macro level, the Predators are an average team that can almost make the playoffs or just make the playoffs rather and, and give a higher seeded team a good scare for six games and that be it. And that's not what this team was built to do. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, no, the season was not a success. But if you dig deeper into some of the other things that happened over the course of the season. Well, can, can, let me, it's funny. Ahead. You tell me if this is macro or micro though, because this is how I would describe, if you're going to say it was successful, this is how I would describe it. You made the playoffs, you found your head coach, and you found some young players that can play. Is that too micro, or is that is that pretty? I mean, to I me, finding a head coach more is more micro than macro. Okay, but finding a head coach seems like a pretty big. No, big that's what thing. I was going to say. Is if you dig deeper into it, there are Predators fans, many of whom listen to this podcast, who under no circumstances will ever give John Hines a chance. <laughs> I, I'm just. I mean, it's what's it's, the point of living like that? I don't know. <laughs> Give me the voice. It sounds like the voice. It sounds like a perfect John time. Hines was a terrible hire from the get-go. I don't care what he did. He made some stupid decisions in the playoffs. Erica Branson, Ben Harper, Dante Fabro. There you go. So look, Anytime you mention Ben Harper, you've got to do it with the voice. Yes, but I will say this to the defense of the voice people I was just mocking. Yes, some of John's decisions in the postseason were a bit questionable. And I have never said, nor will I ever say, that John Hines is a perfect coach. However, that turnaround, yes, UC Saros played magnificently. And we'll get to him not being a Vezina Trophy finalist in a minute. Just a second, yep. We're all going to agree with you, Preds fans, by the way, on this one. Yes. Just a second. That turnaround... Does not happen without John Hines. Period. I, I'm. I'm. I, that's from having conversations with people in the dressing room and around the team that would know. That turnaround does not happen without John Hines, and I think John is the right coach for this team right now. Now, when this team returns to being a Stanley Cup contender, will John still be the right coach? I don't know. I don't know how long that's going to take. But for a team in transition, I think John is the right coach for this team at this moment. And you can dislike the things that he does or the lineups he deploys, but this team was fragile. This team had grown complacent, particularly the star players on this team. Some of them had grown complacent. And John Hines whip them into shape. So like, for example, I don't know who the person is. They tweeted me all the time. I've probably muted them at this point. (laughs) Before game one, during warmups, when all four members of the quote unquote herd line were in the lineup, when Erica Branson and Ben Ben Harper were in the lineup, I tweeted something about, you know, while I watch all of you freak the fuck out, about this lineup, <laughs> keep two things in mind. One, it's not the lineup for the entire series. And two, John Hines has pushed 
the right buttons in the second half of the season. And every time something went wrong, somebody tweeted to me, well, John Hines, he's pushing the right buttons, though, isn't he? <laughs> you, you, know? do, you do ask for it sometimes, I though. do ask for and, it. And I, I, but that's part of the gig. Uh, are you suggesting that a, a hockey coach can make a different decision in Game 2 than he does in Game 1? Yes. Oh, my God. And I'm blown away by that. And, you know, a lot of people were confused by the Predators' decision to scratch Ellie Tolvanen in Game 6, to which I say, what did Ellie Tolvanen do to deserve to be in the lineup in Game 6? Um, he wasn't the same guy that was on the power play. I understand play that yeah. he gives you the hope of scoring and provides a greater chance of scoring than Brad Richardson does, who replaced him in the lineup. But Ellie Tolvanen had really done nothing to yeah. earn a place in the lineup in a, in a series you know, in an elimination game. So to your point, I do believe the Predators have found a head coach that is right for this team right now. I'm not saying John Hines is going to be here as long as Barry Trotz was. That's not going to happen. Guess what? Things change, Mox. It could be different in two years. Right. It could be different in three years. that's, That's sports. But, you know, I like, I advise listeners who may have already done this, but I wrote a story before the before the playoffs, about the eight-game road trip in March that turned around the Predator season. And to give you a sense of the things that John Hines did to whip these the, whip these players into shape, I suggest you read that story. Um, Hal Gill, I think, pointed to that, that. I think they went four and four on that road trip. Four, three, and one. Four, three, and one. And everybody still points to that road trip as the turning point of yes. the season. So that's number one. Number two, to your point again... A lot of good young players. Uh, you know, Ellie Tolvanen, despite being scratched in game six, has shown a lot of promise. Um, he, he, he showed that spending two years in the American League, learning how to play, was the right decision. He wasn't ready up until now. And, you know, he still has room to grow. Uh, Alex Carrier uh, was fabulous. Um, and by the way, Alex Carrier spent four full seasons in the minor leagues, by the way. I am going to make a comparison for Alex Carrier that is that I should no one should take lightly. I do not take it lightly, and I do not throw this out there lightly. Okay. He he has a lot of Roman Yossi to his game. He's very confident with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. He skates very, very confidently. He moves very, very well. I'm not suggesting that he's going to be Roman Yossi. That's not what I'm saying. Now I'm doing the voice. That's not what I'm saying. But he does. He play. The, if you pick a defenseman on this team that Alex Carrier plays like, the one that you pick is Roman Yossi. Yes, he's I, I very mean, good. He does have elements of Roman's game in his own game, and you can feel really good about that because Alex Carrier. He's young. He's under contract at a very good price. For, for a few more years. Um, Which will lead to some expansion conversations. Yes. <laughs> Just a um, second. You know, Yakov Trenin, I mean, to show you just how things change, he was a monster in Game 5, had two goals, cost the Predators the lead in Game 6 by mm. committing an icing penalty and then losing his man on the face-off goal by Dougie Hamilton. But you saw a lot out of him this season. Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier... Jeremy Davies. There is a lot to like about some of the prospects that are coming through the system. Now, of course, there Pit, is Pitlick no... Pitlick and Tomasino not even yeah. are included in well, that. Well, 
Philip Tomasino is on his way. Yeah. He was named to the AHL's all-rookie team last week. I expect him to be on the team next season. He's their top forward prospect. He's the closest thing to a game-changing prospect that they have. Um, so you're long, as as we tend to do, get long-winded. You're saying those are micro things that you have to dive deeper into the roster and look at to appreciate and find success versus yes. macro. So basically, we're just arguing semantics at this point. Yes. Um, but really, we kind of agree on all the things. But it's not that you just, just well, they may, they were a fourth place team that needed a hot second half to make the playoffs, and they lost in the first round, so their season was a failure. With a bunch of guys that are all about to retire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, with with a, an aging coach and a you, you know what I'm saying like there's yes. there's some there's definitely positives there. All right, so we will get to. Uh, after the break, we're, we're going to talk about the roster evaluation, some of the bullet points in the summer that, that you need to know about if you're a Preds fan, of course, you know, taking a look at some of the really pivotal decisions that are coming. What exactly does adjusting the core, blowing up the core, whatever phrase you want to use, what, what does that look like? We'll do that coming up after the break. But before we go to that, UC Soros was not named a Vesna finalist. I am actually not surprised that he did not get named as a one of the three finalists. The three finalists, of course, Philip Grubauer of Colorado, Marc-Andre Fleury of Las Vegas, Andrew Vasilevsky of Tampa Bay. As you tweeted out on uh, Tuesday, it will be interesting to see where UC Soros finished in the voting. They can only name three finalists, correct? That is, they can't name four? It's not like the Heisman where they no, pick where the drop-off the is? Three, the top three vote-getters. From general managers. For the Vezina, but also for the other awards voted by... The reporters, we there, you know, you vote and the top three vote getters, there's a point system. Okay. Get the. So, yes. If you notice the Heisman, there's a different number of finalists every year. Sometimes there's three, no, there's sometimes always, there's five. There's always three for NHL awards. The reason they do that is to tr- to show people where, who was close, right? So in theory, UC Soros could be a very, very close fourth. Right. And not be included in this. If you look at the numbers, again, Grubauer, 922 with a 195. He was 12th in goals saved above average. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, 928 with a 198. Uh, He was 5th in goals saved above average. Vasilevsky, a 925 with a 221. UC Saros is right there, 927 with a 228. He was 1st in goals saved above average. Vasilevsky was 2nd. Saros was better than Marc-Andre Fleury and Philip Grubauer in a lot of categories, except for the sort of traditional ones, wins and goals against. It was pointed out. It was pointed out by uh, Ryan Lambert, uh, who is on the Puck Soup podcast and and does many other things, that those three goaltenders were the top three goalies in wins this season. So, so, so let me ask you, were you surprised that UC Saros was not a finalist? No. And B, make the case why UC Saros deserved to be a finalist. Am I surprised that he wasn't a finalist? No, because general managers typically do not do as much homework on these awards as reporters do for other awards. And sometimes we reporters can be a bit too meticulous in determining who can win these awards. Uh, but GMs, Is there such a thing? Uh, yes. But GMs, I have to imagine, like I said, Ryan Lambert pointed out that those three goaltenders were the top three goalies and wins. So that might have had something to do with it. I, I think, Mark, first of all, what's amazing is that this is the first time that Marc-Andre Fleury is a Vezina Trophy finalist for all that he's done in his career. Seriously? Yes. This is the first time that he's a Vezina Trophy finalist, and I think he deserves to be one of the finalists. And Vasilevsky, 
I believe he's going to win it for the fourth consecutive year. He's going to win it, right? He'll pr- I, I think he'll probably win it. For me, there are two goaltenders that deserved to be finalists more than Philip Grubauer, Connor Hellebuck and UC Soros. Okay. Um, and I like Philip Grubauer. I know Philip Grubauer. I covered Philip Grubauer very early in his career in Washington. I remember writing stories about him when he was in the ECHL. So I, I've I have followed Philip's career for a long time. Really great guy. Solid season for the Avalanche. But but he, <laughs> but he, you know, I like anytime you say really great guy. I know, but like here's what I'm but here's what I'm saying that the Winnipeg Winnipeg. Their defense has been a mess for years. Um, and Connor Hellebuck last year definitely, and probably this year too, almost single handedly carried the Jets into the playoffs. And by the way, Connor Hellebuck, though playoff performance has nothing to do with the these awards, helped the Jets sweep the Oilers and are now in the second round of the playoffs. Um, and then UC Soros, we've talked about this for months. We know what he's done. I think the one thing that probably worked against UC is the fact that it wasn't over a full over a full season. Even though he had a transcendent second half, he did not have a full season worth of this type of play. And I think that might ultimately have been his quote unquote demise. I also think if you use the word value as a part of this, this you start talking MVP versus but, yeah, most but outstanding. Yeah, is not about value right. necessarily. It, the Heisman Trophy doesn't say the most valuable player in college football. It's the most outstanding player. And again, if you want to argue semantics, most valuable player in the NFL or NBA or whatever in baseball, hard to argue that UC Saros isn't as valuable to his team as these guys are to theirs. Like so you, you look the, at the talent around these other guys, it's not even close the, to what the Predators have. The definition of the Vezina Trophy is... It's awarded to the, quote, goaltender adjudged, good word, <laughs> to be the best at his position. Okay. Was UC Saros the best goaltender in the NHL this year at his position? Probably not. No. Not not over the full, not over a full season. So I, I, I'm, we're just going to Was he a better him. goaltender than Philip Grubauer? Because you just said he belonged above him, as well as Connor Halibut. I do think he might have been a better, better goalie than... Philip Grubauer. Okay. So we're looking, I'd, be fine, so this I'd is, be fine with that too. I think UC belonged at number three. So I'm this fine with is that. Grubauer. This is how the NHL mentioned. This is how they broke down Phillips' candidacy. He shared the league lead with a career high seven shutouts. He ranked second in wins with 30 and goals against average at 195. The Avalanche won the President's Trophy. He earned victories in 30 of his 40 total appearances, the second highest winning percentage among goaltenders with a minimum of five games played in 2021 behind only Jack Campbell. Um, let's see. That's basically it. Um, Flurry. <laughs> that, that was the yeah. argument? Well, yeah. Flurry, he and Robin Leonard captured the Jennings Trophy, which is given to the goaltenders on the team that allowed the fewest goals during the regular season. Third in wins, goals against average, save percentage, and shutouts. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Then he also allowed twenty. He allowed two or fewer goals in twenty-five of his thirty-six outings. Hmm. Um, and okay. Vasilevsky, I mean, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. He's really, really good. Yeah, I think he's. Um, I think he's the the deserving candidate. But. So I think Vasilevsky, and I think Vasilevsky and Flurry are good picks. Here, the thing about here's the thing that's difficult, and and this also kind of works to Vasilevsky too, but I think it's mostly for Grubauer, is. You have to look at what kind of team he has in front of him. 
Um, I don't have the Avalanche's defensive metrics in front of me. And, and not to say that those numbers I just listed on Grubauer were not good. They were very good. But the Avalanche, I would imagine, were a pretty good defensive team this year. <laughs> so his life yeah. was nowhere near as difficult as Connor Hellebuck's was. Or UC Saros. Or did he have to carry his team into a postseason spot like UC Saros? Yeah, yeah. But if you're looking at a full body of work over the course of a 56-game season. You, you've hedged enough. Yes. I think you've done I, a lot I, of hedging. Over yes. There. I think, <laughs> it, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I, 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 I thought UC might have an outside chance of being a finalist, but I wasn't surprised. I think he was one of the three best goaltenders this year in value. Maybe he wasn't one of the three best goaltenders. I wonder if he gets any heart trophy votes. Uh, that, that one won't make any sense to me, but I guess, I guess we can talk our way around that one. All right. So, we still have to dive into what are the big pivotal decisions for this franchise in the summer coming up over the next couple of months. We've got the schedule here, July 17th. They have to submit their roster to the expansion, to Seattle for expansion. The draft, the expansion draft itself is July 21st. And of course, the NHL draft 23rd and 24th. And then free agency begins July 28th. The, the draft lottery is tomorrow. The draft lottery is maybe today or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to Wednesday. This. It's Wednesday. But not that it affects the Predators this time. We are going to discuss where the Predators' head is at, heads are at, as we head collective in, heads, the collective heads, as we head into too much, too much here, uh, as as we spit it out, as we uh, are moving towards all of the big summer decisions, including what would it look like to quote unquote break up the core? What would that look like? We'll do that when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That was a far more normal Jaspers. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Maybe our listeners do too. Maybe the, maybe Jaspers does as well. You know what's not normal? The ambiance and the menu at Jaspers. It's exquisite. It's unique. I can't. You, do, does it ever bother you? Did you ever have an editor tell you that you're not allowed to say very unique? Yes. I, had, I agree with it. I, I mean, it's it's correct. I just had somebody. I'm not a writer by trade. You are a writer by trade. Go to Jasper's, by the way. And my editor, who now works with you at The Athletic, at the time was like, yeah, you, you can't say very unique. That's that's redundant. And I thought, okay. It's one of those times where media people are just smarter than everybody else, and sometimes it's annoying. Do you get bothered by single greatest sports bar ever assembled is Jasper's? Do you get bothered by the single greatest? Because if it's the greatest, it can't be the single greatest. Does that one bother you too? That doesn't bother me as much. Um, Jasper's is the single best place to watch a Preds game in Nashville. That doesn't bother you? No. It is a very unique place to watch the Preds game. <laughs> that bothers you. Very unique. I have very interesting grammatical stick stickler Quirks? Things. Quirks, yes. For example. All right, give me one. <laughs> Go to Jasper's. When I worked at the NHL, they have a very specific style guy for certain things. I One thing that I had to learn to, uh, one thing I had to wean myself off of doing and still do and still do to this day, even though I haven't worked for the NHL in like six or seven years, is when the Predators, what, the Predator, oh, I'm trying to think of the best, when you, you cannot win a game over an opponent, you win a game against an opponent. <laughs> a 3-2 win 
against the Carolina Hurricanes. Not a 3-2 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> I don't do over. It's always against. <laughs> All right. Did, did the NHL ever get angry at you? Like, did they ever actually – this is one I'm fascinated by now. that you, I forgot that you worked there. Did, did they ever specifically say not to use the S when describing the championship series? The style, it is a proper guide, the style guide. Go to Jasper's. The, go to Jasper's where I can talk, you, talk to you about the NHL style guide. The NHL <laughs> oh, style <no>. guide. <laughs> the greatest advertising tagline. Stanley Cup final. And I believe Eastern and Conference final. No S. No, there's S's on the. Are there? I think that. I think so. Oh. I think hmm. there's S's on the on the semifinal on the conference finals because oh, there's okay, cause maybe because there's, there's more than, maybe because there's multiple. Yeah. Huh. But it's definitely Stanley Cup final. It's definitely final Stanley Cup final with one L with with one, no S. Really, Sorry. it's just the NBA's fault because it's the only yeah the only series like it's the NBA finals. But there's not a you call it the World Series in baseball. There's the now Super Bowl. Now I can't remember if it's if you're just referring Final to conference four. finals, like if you're saying the conference finals in the NHL are. But I think if you're referring to the Eastern or Western Conference final, there's only one because there's only one Eastern Conference and Western Conference final. Uh, we'll find out here soon. But that was the one thing. I got I also got in trouble once because I wrote about a fight in a game recap and we're not we weren't allowed to write about fights. Oh, really? Yeah. So unless, not, unless like the fight played a significant role in a game. So uh, the Wikipedia page calls it the NHL Conference Finals. Okay. Uh, and it says the National Hockey League Conference Finals are the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Championship Series in the NHL. The Conference Finals are a best of seven series. Yes, but that's Conference no, no, Finals. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen like the, the fancy graphics. Right, you know, like the little logo yes. that say like Western Conference Finals. I'm pretty sure there's an S in there. We'll find out here in a couple weeks. We will find. Well, actually, we won't because there are no Eastern and Conference, oh, like Eastern, Eastern and Western that's Conference true. Finals this year. That's true. So we won't find out about it in a couple weeks. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. The food We're, is great. The food is great. The menu is grammatically correct. It is completely. It is, it's a very unique menu, and it's the it, single greatest menu. <laughs> And it's grammatically correct, and and they and that is final, and they won't get in, get you in trouble for talking about fights. No, if you go to Jasper's, you can sit there and drink a cocktail, eat a great burger, watch a game. Maybe it's a baseball game these days because we're into June, and you could talk about fights, and the NHL can't do anything to you. So, like in the game that the Avalanche played against the Golden Knights the other night, with Ryan Reeves being kicked out of the game, he was ultimately suspended for two games. But I have to imagine if I were still writing for the NHL and that happened, like that might be able to be mentioned because it did play a gotcha. role, a, a gotcha. major part in the game because the Avalanche got a nine-minute power play out of it. Um, Here, here's another one because you just mentioned the Avalanche. And I had a huge argument about this. Are with, or is? When with single. my family. I had a huge argument with my family about the Utah Jazz. And, and I was like, as someone who had to write in college football for years, y you say that we'll, we'll use the Nashville Predators. Nashville is Na right nashville won seven games on its way to a conference the, championship the city is it's the right. team name right. is out is r so nashville nashville won 14 straight on its way to a stanley cup championship correct the predators won 14 games on, on their, their way. way to the to a stanley cup so championship. The and my, my family were like no it's utah jazz is and the I'm lightning like, no, the not. lightning are the avalanche are right. the kraken are because it's a plural 
Yes, but it's funny because... Catching deers is not appropriate. <laughs> but what's funny is, um, I believe it's the... What's the paper in Minnesota? The Star Tribune. I believe they refer to it as the wild is. Oh, it's terrible. And it's, that's not... Maybe that's their own style that's book. not correct. For, for not, cities, it's. Yep. Nashville won its fifth consecutive game. The Predators won their fifth consecutive game. Yes, the Lightning are the Stanley Cup champions. The team is a collective singular, and the mascot is the plural. Just the way it is. Minnesota, you're wrong, as usual. You know who's never wrong? Jaspers. Go to Jaspers on West End. Great menu, great happy hour, and great parking. Go to Jaspers. All right, let's get into this offseason, Adam, because you've already written a bunch of articles about it. There's going to be a lot more to come. We're going to have an entire expansion draft podcast here coming up in a couple of weeks once we get into July. Uh, the question I have, though, first to sort of start this conversation is just a, a quick, and you wrote, wrote about this, evaluating the roster and where we are, how many of these pieces are going to come back, at what positions. Uh, should I ask you the question, the biggest, tough, most difficult question first about the core, sure. or should we work our way up to the core and, and talk up and do leg day first. <laughs> you tell me. I, I think the toughest question is how to m mix up the core, change the core. They've, they've had their chance for five or six years now, and it's time to move on from them. I think it's really, it's, it's easy to pick off a couple of pieces. It's, it's harder to get rid of the two big ones, if that makes sense. Well, we saw last year, the Predators did a lot of, tinkering around the edges a lot of secondary players uh were let go austin watson was traded kyle turris was bought out nick bonino was traded craig smith was let go in free agency um colin blackwell was let go in free agency um so dan dan hamhuse retired you know so a lot of the secondary players were mixed um that you know were were gotten rid of in some form or fashion um, this year, I do think, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, while there are certain things to feel optimistic about, I do think it's important for the Predators to make some changes to that core group. And your definition of the core group may vary, but to me, that core group includes Roman Yossi, Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne. That is what no, I would consider the core. I agree. Normally, you would include Pecorine in that yes. group, but he is now the backup and could come back, could retire. Yes. He is part of the core writ large, but yes. is now a different, I, I, different yes. player. I don't consider him in this in this particular right. calculation. Uh, so, unrest unrestricted free agents, Mikhail Granlund, Eric Goodbranson, Eric Halla, Brad Richardson, Pecorine, and your favorite guy who's in the... Uh, the Springfield mystery Springfield spot. Mystery spot. Lucas Pisa. Lucas Pisa. Restricted free agents: UC Saros, Dante Fabro, Jeremy Davies, Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier, Rem Pitlick, and Ellie Tolvanen. So a lot of work there for the front office to get signed from a restricted free agent standpoint. Maybe Granlin they bring back in an unrestricted free agent standpoint. But it doesn't feel like those are the problems. It feels no. like the core is the group that we need to talk about. Yes. And it's it, you mentioned the names. I agree. There are seven of them. Two of them on July twenty eighth which is the start of free agency, can begin negotiating a new contract because they have one more year left on their deal. And that is, of course, Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm. Do we start with expansion in this conversation or do we start with those two names? Because it feels like everything revolves around those two decisions. Expansion and do they re-sign Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm? 
Right? Is that accurate, do you think? I do think the potential of re-signing those two players is important. To me, more important is, because you do have an extra year of those players, is looking at other changes. Um, so we can start with expansion and, and work our way down. So as you said, July 17th is when every NHL team, with the exception of the Vegas Golden Knights, who do not have to participate in the expansion draft, um, have to submit their protection lists to the NHL. Last time they were publicized, um, and I imagine that to be the case again, on July 21st, Seattle will unveil its selections uh, and 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 uh, it's inaugural roster. Um, so there are a couple of there are a couple of things that are important to note here. Um, the most pressing question that I have received uh, about this expansion draft, which has been the is UC Soros exempt of the 2021 expansion draft, <laughs> is oh, oh, is, I see Al- what you're is Alex Carrier exempt from the expansion draft? The answer is no. Alex Carrier is eligible for the expansion draft. And the reason why I get that question a lot is because of the certain requirements that each team must meet in terms of the types of players they expose. So every team must expose one defenseman who's under contract for next season, played in 27 games this season, or a, or a total of... Of 54 games over the past two seasons. Alex Carrier is two games short of that threshold. He appeared in 25 games this season, if that, yes, because I think he appeared in 25 games this season, 19 in the regular season, and six in the playoffs. So although he did not meet the eligibility requirements in terms of that one defenseman who needs to be exposed, as long as the Predators expose a defenseman who meets those requirements, which Matt Benning and Mark Borowiecki do, then Carrier is eligible. So Carrier can be selected in the expansion draft. Dante Fabro can be selected. Dante Fabro is right? also eligible. But not under... He's a restricted free he's agent. He's a restricted free agent. Um, so let me ask you this for those that need to know. When can you re-sign restricted free agents? At and, any time. That's what I thought. And when can you um, make any... Deals, like if Seattle. You, if you were gonna, tr- no, no. If you were gonna trade Arvidsson to whoever, let's say, because that's a part of this equation, right? If, I imagine. I mean, I, I, I think you have to wait till the twenty eighth is over. I think you have to wait. Like, well, I mean, a lot of draft, a lot of trades happen at the draft, right? The regular draft. Like once the NHL season is over, it, I th- you can start making trades. So all of this, uh, I, I bring that up to point out that. You have an expansion consideration. You have contract negotiations that you can kind of undergo with players on your own team, both restricted and guys that are that you cannot officially resign until t- the 28th. I'm pretty sure that the National Predators have had a conversation with Philip Forsberg's representation. Oh, they're, they're, at this point, you, it's not that they can't talk about it. Right. It's that they can't put pen to paper. Right. Until so, that date. I'm trying to paint the picture of all the moving parts that David Poyle is looking at all at one time, right? Mm-hmm. Which is expansion, yep. which is restricted free agents, yep. which is extensions for certain players, mm-hmm. and and or trades. And I think the prime target for trading here would be probably Victor Arvidsson and yes. Ryan Ellis, right? The top two trade targets. So we can kind of work through well, this Well, you have list. to think of it this way. How many players do the Predators have that you think they would actually trade that have value? Victor Arvidsson is part of the core. And just talking about the core. 
Victor Arvidsson is is a piece that I think has value, has a relatively low cap hit, could inject some offense into your team. I also think you got to do something to shake up this group. And there's not a lot of options here, man. It's one guy goes to Seattle, and maybe you trade somebody else. Otherwise, I don't know how you shake up the core. Right. Like, there there really aren't that many options. So of those players that we listed, Roman Yossi, of course, is not going anywhere. Matthias Ekholm, probably not going anywhere either. Philip Forsberg, probably not going anywhere. So that leaves Victor Robertson, Ryan Ellis, Matthew Shane, and Ryan Johansson. Um, the likelihood of both Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane not being on the roster next year is negative zero. Negative zero. Um, the chances, I honestly... Absolute zero. Absolute zero. I do believe that there is a less than 50% chance that one of them isn't on the roster next year. I don't think it's... I think there's this misconception. You're saying it's more likely that both are back than one is back. Hold on. It's more likely, you're saying, more than a 50% chance, more likely that both Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson are back Uh than one of them is in somewhere else, either in Seattle or being traded. Yes. That is disappointing um, if you're a Preds fan because I think the goal is to get the Seattle Kraken to take one of those two players. I think there's a misconception that if the Predators expose one or both of them in the expansion draft, that Seattle is just going to happily take one of them off of the Predators' hands. Then you have to consider what it might take to incentivize Seattle to take one of them and whether it's worth paying that price. So let's just say, we're just, we're just, we're just talking in hypotheticals here. The Predators say to the Kraken, we would like you to take Matt Duchesne. And the Kraken say, okay, we will if you retain 50% of Matt's salary, give us a first-round draft pick, and Rem Pitlick. What about Dante Fabro? Or Dante Fabro. To me, that's not worth it. No, no. It, you, you have to take all the contract. Yes. If Seattle takes the whole contract, here's a question for you. Would you give them Arvidsson and Duchesne? Yes. Would you give them Fabro and Duchesne? No. Would you give them Pitlick and Duchesne? Probably I, not. I think, oh, probably not, really. No. Especially if... So Arvidsson is the name you go to see. If you're Seattle, why would you not take Matt Duchesne and Victor Arvidsson to launch your franchise? I know. I mean... Like, that uh, seems kind of stupid. It does seem silly. Um, and it frees up, what, $14 million? Or, oh, sorry, $12 million in $12.25 million dollars in cap space. It gives you almost $30 million to work with to mm-hmm. bring back Forsberg and Ekholm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Ellis or Victor Arvidsson is going to be traded. That's that's what it feels like to me. And you're trying to get this, the Kraken to take one of the other two. And those are the only two pieces I think you can you can count on sort of maneuvering through I mean, the core. Dante, you know? like Dante Fabro is still very much in the Predators' plans. I know it was odd that he was not in any playoff game. And he warmed up before game four and didn't play. Um, but he's still very much in the Predators' plans. So I think a trade of him this summer is unlikely. Um, so it, it, like it's, it's about, it, I mean, what you could do, for example, here's what you could do. You could trade Victor Arvidsson for futures of some kind and then give, basically give those futures to Seattle. Let's say you get to take know, Matt Duchesne. a third round pick or a third and a fourth for Arvidsson. And, you know, he, he okay. might not be worth that much. Okay. But let's just say you get a third and a fourth, and then you basically just take those three and two, 
draft picks and give them to Seattle with one of those $8 million players. First of all, are we both clear on which one of the two players we would want Seattle to take? Because I think it's pretty obvious that it should be Matt Duchesne. If I had to choose, if I had the choice of getting rid of one of those two players, the other being Ryan Johansson, I would not hesitate to say Matt Duchesne. Yeah. And I, I think we've said this a hundred times on the show, more term on the contract, more money on the contract. And Ryan Johansson has more upside. As I also a, think that despite the fact that Ryan Johansson has struggled in recent seasons, you've gotten or you've you have gotten more of a return on your investment in Johansson than you have in Duchesne. In the playoffs in particular. Yes. I think it's pretty obvious. So the goal here, the decisions are how to get Seattle to take Matt Duchesne. Mm-hmm. Which pieces do you then trade for what? Whether it's Victor Arvidsson or Ryan Ellis, and how much does it cost you to bring back Philip Forsberg or Matthias Ekholm, ideally, you, you maybe get those deals done this summer. But it sounds like you're saying those are l- far lower on the priority list than than maybe some of the, the other moves. Because otherwise, the core itself, these seven guys we're talking about, it's hard to see more than two of them moving on. Would you consider that a major shakeup of the core? I think if any of those players were moved, it would be a step in the right direction because none of them have gone anywhere for several years. I, I mean, I agree. So... You know, I, I personally, and I've said this, I said this leading into the trade deadline too, I have a very hard time seeing Ryan Ellis being traded. That does not mean it can't happen. But based on what I know, I have a hard time imagining it will happen. Say what you will about Ryan Ellis. Your mileage definitely varies on Ryan Ellis. Most people around here seem to be over Ryan Ellis. But the organization loves Ryan Ellis. <laughs> I love Ryan Ellis. I'm not yes. going to lie. I do. And not to say that they don't love Victor Arvidsson too. I just think that when you're looking at shaking things up, you have a player who scored 94 goals between 2017 and 2019 or 2016 and 2019, whatever. He scored 94 goals over a three season span, which was top 20 in the NHL over that time frame. Um, he has been injury prone in recent years when he has played he's been nowhere near as impactful but he's still relatively young he's in his late 20s his cap hit 4.25 through 2024 is not prohibitive in a flat cap world and if you are a team looking to boost your offense at a reasonable price you can do a lot worse than victor arvidsson the return probably won't be super high because of those injury concerns and the diminishing returns that you've had in the past two seasons. But but it's shaking up the core. But it's shaking up the core. and Getting rid I, of the one guy everyone loves. <laughs> right. But it's just like... I agree, well, I agree with like, you. you got to be shrewd. Yeah. I mean, I think Victor Arvidsson has been a huge player for this team for the past six, seven years. He's a fan favorite. You know, the season he scored 34 goals despite missing 24 games was insane. Yeah. Um, but it's easy to look at his playing style and the injuries he's dealt with over the past couple of years His in his below-average frame, I guess you could say. It's being generous. And, and worry that he's not going to be that player anymore. Some of those same questions about Ryan Ellis, unfortunately. Um, but Ryan Ellis has... A bigger cap hit for a lot longer. Yeah, um, plays a more premium position. You and, and plays you. a more premium. Here's position. the question, though: 
if you're going to protect Yossi, Ekholm, and Ellis, and I would vote to protect Carrier over Fabro, assuming that you probably make a deal with Seattle saying don't take Fabro, or maybe the deal is to take Fabro. I don't know. I don't know who you protect as far as forwards go. You well, protect you protect Philip Forsberg, and what after that? I Luke, do Luke, think this Luke is, Cunning. I I do who's th- protected? I do think this is an important distinction to make. So oftentimes when we talk about the expansion draft, we know that there are two there are two methods of protection: seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or eight skaters and a goalie. And oftentimes when we do the eight skaters, we assume it's four forwards and four defensemen. That is not the case. Oh, you can go it five can defensemen. Be, it can be. Any combination Mind of blown. eight skaters. For example, the New York Islanders in 2017 protected five defensemen in the Vegas expansion draft. So you could protect Yossi, Ekholm, Ellis, Carrier, and Fabro, <laughs> but that would only mean you would protect three forwards. I still have a tough time getting to the third one. I got I got I got Forsberg and Cunning. Who's the next one? Colton uh, Sissons. Okay. Callie Yarncroke. I like both of those players. Who else is... If you're, if you're not, Again, you're assuming Duchesne is being taken, so you can unprotect whoever you want. If you're not right? trading Victor Arvidsson before the expansion draft, you might protect him. But the whole point is to get... Like we just said, we would give Arvidsson to Seattle with Duchesne. See what I'm saying? Like if you know well, that the Seattle's going to take... In that, the risk in that is you have a Riley Smith, Jonathan, Marcheseau situation like the Panthers did and Marcheseau and Smith became like the Vegas Golden Knights' best two players and leading them to the Stanley Cup final. So are we blowing up the core or not, Adam? No, I'm just saying that that's something you have to keep in mind. I, I, I agree. I think you kind of have to operate in a vacuum here. I think Luke Cunning deserves to be on that list. Hell yeah, I do too. He, he, you know, he led the team in even strength scoring. He was a monster in the second half of the season. He played. He was big in the playoffs, particularly Game Four. He's young. You're talking about getting younger. He's what, 23 years old? I love it. You know, sign me up. I I think Luke Cunning is on that list. Who, who? So the other pieces, and this is where Preds fans probably do need some help. They don't need to protect guys like Tanner Janot or Matthew Olivier. Or, I believe. You know those those Tolvanen, level of guys. Tolvanen right? is exempt. Tolvanen's exempt. Thomasino is exempt. Right. I believe Janot is exempt. Olivier might not be exempt, but that I'm not worried about and, them. I don't think Seattle and, is taking Tanner Janot. And Granlund's not under contract. And Granlund is not under contract, so you don't have to sign. So here's here's another important point. Seattle can take unrestricted free agents. So if they, for some reason, decided to pick me Kyle Granlund, that's their prerogative. It basically gives them an exclusive exclusive negotiating window. But Granlin could say, I'm not signing here. Right, right. So there's a risk in taking a UFA. I don't I, imagine Seattle doing that. I, so, I am I am re-signing Ekholm and Forsberg, and I am shipping Arvidsson and Duchesne to Seattle. I, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. But if you're trying to shake up the core, that's how you do it. Then you can protect five defensemen. Again, it doesn't matter who you protect at that point because you've already made the deal with Seattle. So I think that's the key here. With You don't have to worry about... Adam, don't even write the article. <laughs> you don't have to write any articles or read or study the expansion draft if you can put a deal in place before the July 17th deadline, right? Isn't that the goal? Yeah, you're, you're taking Matt Duchesne from us. What's your price? Let's settle on a deal, and then you don't have to worry about what formation you protect because you already have a deal in place. Right. Yeah. Isn't that the best way to shake up the core, use the expansion draft to your advantage, and keep your young pieces protected, right? Yeah. And I mean, and with see, that, just and with like that, that, and easy. with those savings, 
you can also re-sign Mikhail Granlund to be your second line center at not $8 million. And is that what he wants? He doesn't want $8 million. No. Oh, you mean, right. I'm just saying your... it won't be Matt sure. Duchesne at $8 million. Right, right. It'll be Mikhail Granlund at like six and a half. Uh, hopefully like five and three quarters maybe, which is old contract. See, it's that easy, guys. It's that easy. <laughs> but you do, I think we both agree, you do have to shake up the core at this point. I don't think you can come back. With Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, Forsberg, Arvidsson, Duchesne, and Johansson, and run it back again. I don't think what you can is do a that. Bigger, what would be a bigger mistake in the history of the Nashville Predators? Trading for Kyle Turris <laughs> or signing Matt Duchesne if Matt Duchesne is not on the team next year? Can I tell you after I see the terms of the deal? If they have to eat some of the contract... Um, Here's the other thing. I think they're connected. Well, because, they kind of are. Because yeah. they were in both in Ottawa and... and They were part of that trade together. Yes, and Poyle wanted them both. Yes. I, I'm just going to lump them all together and say yes. Okay. <laughs> Which one is worse? So, um, all right. Well, we solved all the problems. These are the big decisions. Again, the deadlines, J- July 17th, they have to submit this. July 21st, the expansion draft. 23rd and 24th, the NHL draft. 28th, they can begin re- renegotiations. And it sounds like Forsberg is probably in the six-year, $9 million per range. Ekholm I, is probably, I wouldn't, but... Ekholm is in what range? I'm just saying market value. I've, Ekholm is at least $7 million. Wow. I think they need Matthias Ekholm more than they need all the other defensemen not named Yossi. They need a big physical, especially after this season. I mean, we talked snarling about, monster. We, they don't have t- any of those guys. We talked about that road trip that turned around the season. Keep in mind that for seven games of that road trip, there was no Roman Yossi and there was no Ryan Ellis. Matthias Ekholm was the def- top defenseman for that team for seven games. Took on a bigger leadership role this year. You know, he played a huge role in that turnaround, too. He carried them. There's no question about ha! it. Ha! Um, Sorry. I, I, I love Alex Carrier, but he's not Matias Ekholm's style of defenseman. No. I like Dante Fabro. He's not a Matias Ekholm's style of defenseman. Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi are not Matias Ekholm's style defensemen. You cannot have a team full of speedy, small defensemen who can move the puck. You need somebody that does the other thing. And that's Matias Ekholm. You got to resign him. End of rant. I agree. I, I have no qualms about that. Okay. All right. Anything else we forgot to cover, Adam, in our autopsy of the Predators' 2021 not, season? Not really. I think more looking ahead to the summer, frankly. right? But you know, I think we, I think we crossed off some of the more important things um, between expansion requirements and free agents. So you know, as it's more you mentioned, about what the we're going to do at the core, yeah, right. Well, you mentioned like so the RFAs, none of them should cost that much. With the exception of UC Soros. And even even UC Soros, I don't expect to be a break the bank type of contract. Oftentimes Like like a three and ten? Three like ten million each? No, 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 no. Oh. Three years, ten million. Yeah, I think more than that? Three twelve? Yeah, I think some I think a cap hit between three and a half and four million. Okay. What makes about Tolvanin? For for UC Soros. Tolvanin, I think you could probably get for under two million. Oh, on a bridge deal. Fabro? Uh, I think you could probably get him. This is just me talk, This is me off the top of my head. Yeah. I think you could probably get Fabro for around $2 million on a bridge deal. And right now they got about 17 in space, right? That doesn't include Pekka no. or Granlund no. or, or Halla. Halla or Richardson. Or Goodbranson. So uh, they got they, – they, 
<laughs> this is a pretty big. I mean, off, the only RFA, the only RFA that does not deserve to return is Ben Harper. I'm just over Ben Harper. I, I agree with that. Like Ben Harper, like no disrespect, no disrespect. But the fact that a replacement level defenseman who spent the entire 2019 season in the minor leagues played 34 games and five playoff games for your team, not a good sign. Unfortunately, some of that is the fact that they signed Benning what? and Borvietsky and you know, Borvietsky didn't play. So yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got. There's a lot more to go in the off season, but we just wanted to kind of. This is a combination well, let's, look let's, ahead and and autopsy. Well, of the let's past, let's so. let's do rapid fire here on the on the UFAs. Is Mikhail Granlin back? Maybe. Is Eric Halla back? I li- I'd like to bring him back at that cost. If you can get him for cheap, I, he, I, I think he contributed. I don't year. think both of them are back. I think that, one that's, of, that's I fair. think one of them is back. I don't think Richardson is back. No. I don't think Good Branson is no. back. I don't think your boy in Spisa. the Spisa is back. I am fascinated with Pecorino coming back as a backup for like two million. That I mean, that's I'm an interested in question. That. If he if he wants to come back, I mean, there are far worse options. Because this is this is where if you're going to pay for I a mean, veteran to come back up Soros. Why not pay for Pecorino to right, do it? Right. This is the interesting thing. So UC Soros is an RFA. Pecorino is a UFA. Casimir Kaskasquo. I can't Kaskasquo. I can never pronounce his name correctly. Rock the what? Is a UFA, and it sounds like he will not be back. Connor Ingram is there, but he only played five games this year. So I wouldn't want to play him. I wouldn't want him to make no. him a backup. Like if he no. would have played a full season this year, right? I think you could have made him the backup, but because he missed basically the entire season, I think more time in the AHL would be wise. He, he is the backup to UC Saros after Pecorine's next season. Yes. <laughs> so, like, would you rather have Pecorine at $3 million or Auntie Ranta? I think or it's a, Yaroslav Halak? Pretty or easy, James Reimer? Pretty easy decision. Yeah. So I don't think it's even. I think, I, I, you know what? Like, this might be my boldest take. I think Pekka comes back. I, I, you've I, kind of brought me around. I don't this. think he's. Re- I mean, I don't think he's retiring, and I don't think he's leaving it. I think he's got one more backup season left in him. That's would, just my guess. They better make a cup run then, because let's do it for Pekka. <laughs> How about this? Oh, let me run this past you here, and this was last minute, and we'll talk about this a lot more next week on the show. What do you think about Pekka? Um, this kind of applies to Pekka. Pekka coming back, but announcing it's his last season, so he does a, a farewell tour. But what about David Poyle? announcing his successor and it's and saying that this is going to be his last year and that they're working hand in hand to move into the, <laughs> move into the next chapter of Preds hockey. Do you think that pisses people off or do you think people are excited about that? Ooh, that's a good question. Save it for next, for next week. week. <laughs> we will talk about David Poyle next week on the show. All right, Adam, pay for good people out there need to pay for Adam's good journalism is what I should say. Adam, you don't need to pay for good journalism. You are the good I journalist. I mean, I do I do also pay for good journalism. Exactly. You know, I support I support local journalism and national journalism. There you go. Pay for good journalism. Go to the Athletics. Subscribe, please. Of course. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. You can follow him at Adam Vingan. Where should people go eat and drink beverages and food and watch sporting events? Braden's house. No, don't come to my house with to go I, from Jasper's. You, to go from Jas. Your distaste for human contact is my distaste for entertaining people coming to my house yeah i don't distaste i don't have a distaste for human contact Mm. i'm an affectionate young man (laughs) 
<laughs> in the right situations. In the right situations. Oh, I am to, having a baby after all. Good. <laughs> For the 414 Sports Network, this go, has been to, the gold standard. Go to Jasper's. Great parking, great food, great happy hour. We appreciate all that they do. For the gold, the gold standard. standard cocktail is an aphrodisiac. It, it is. It worked for Adam. It'll work for you. It wasn't. Ex- didn't exist when it worked for me. Go to Jasper's. For Adam, my name's Braden. This has been the Go gold Jasper's, st- where you might get laid. This has been the gold standard on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>